delighted to be joined by Harper Brock. Harper Brock is going to be telling us about her true crime documentary as part of her undergraduate thesis for or her full undergraduate thesis um, as at the uh, Savannah College of, Art, of sorry, Savannah College of Art and Design, right, SCAD? Yeah. Yes. SCAD for short. So um, tell us about this project. Um, you led you led earlier with uh, that it's a that's a crazy story. And um, what's so what sets this project apart from the myriad of other true crime documentaries that are kind of proliferating throughout the throughout Netflix, Hulu, all of the streaming services? Yeah, uh, I would say the thing that really sets it apart, I'm very much like aware of the true crime genre and it's been something I've been following. It's what I want to work in. And I went into the documentary with the idea, how can we tell a survivor story that's not exploitive? Um, because she is my cousin, the woman who's the focus of this documentary. And I think sometimes when you look at the genre, it doesn't do the best to really help the victims in their process. Or a lot of times, sadly, there's not you know, a victim to tell their side of the story just because of the genre and how there's not always an ha- a happy ending. So I really think that's what sets it apart. Not necessarily that the ending is super happy, but the fact that we wanted to go in and we wanted to tell it with her consent and having her in the edit process and really just giving her a voice to say, this is her story and she's telling it this way. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what is the format that you decided to take for this documentary? Is this kind of like a episodic or hour and a half or how'd you set it up? Yeah. So right now it's a short doc. It's about 19 minutes. And I really am looking to make it into a feature or a limited series just because we have such great access with her being my cousin. But we did the traditional kind of three act structure in a short doc. But I wanted to really focus each structure around the question, what happened to Joelle? So the first act, it's told what happened to her before her abduction, you know, and that's more from my point of view as a child remembering her. And then the second act, it's more about what happened to her during those 59 days she was abducted. And the third act is what happened to her after. And essentially, it's a past, present, future scenario through the eyes of myself when I was 13, back nine years ago now. Awesome. Nine years ago. Um, What was your... So so it's funny thinking about like about a decade ago, true crime was definitely a genre. Um but almost like a subgenre of documentary. And now it really is kind of its own thing. So Olivia, what's what's your relationship to true crime? I feel like you may be a little bit more well-versed in kind of like what is, what's been popular. Um, I hear some, mm-hmm. some of the, uh, the big stories from, from my wife, but what are some of like the main, I guess my question for Olivia is like, what are the main tenets that, that you think of when you think of a uh, true crime documentary? And then Harper, how do, um, in addition to the ways you've described how um, your documentary breaks those um, from perspective and that kind of thing, what are some other ways that you feel like you were able to play with it a little bit and innovate as, as a young person kind of having grown up with this genre? Well, I think like, I mean, Harper hit on it that a lot of true crime documentaries or uh, docuseries are really not like they don't, they don't take care of or, or give a whole lot of 
mind to the victims. It's more, in, in some ways, idolizing the perpetrator, uh, especially if it's about a, like a serial killer. Um, you know, like I could tell you a lot of things about, um, you know, different different serial killers over the years. Um, because and because I think it's like I, I don't know what it is. It, it seems like it has really become this whole culture of true crime. I think part of it is just kind of like the psychological aspect of it of just like how can someone get to that point? Like what what gets what drives someone to this point where they are doing these these horrific, unspeakable things that that we normal people would would never do, right? I think it's that psychological aspect. I think I don't I don't know if it this is the case for like all women, but I think about this from my own perspective of just like, okay, so if I was in a situation like this, how would I do something different? Right. Um and I, so I think that it's part of, of that too, of just like what what can we do differently to avoid being a victim ourselves? I, I think that's a lot of I mean women are typically told like, okay, don't go anywhere by yourself, especially at night. Um, make sure you have something like um, mace or, or, you know, hold your keys a certain way in case you need to like stab someone. So, so like, how can, how can I make sure that I don't become a victim? And so, so I think that those are kind of the things I think of. And, and often, you know, again, like Harper said, like, they these theories or documentaries don't don't give a whole lot of care to the the victim or the victims i feel like that's starting to shift a little bit um i've i listen to i don't listen to this podcast anymore but i listen to a true crime po- a podcast called my favorite murder and they the hosts often try to like talk about the the victims and like who they were and like what their lives looked like but I, I think that's a recent shift that maybe has started coming from the past probably like two or three years. So, um, but again, with that, like Harper, what, what makes yours a little different is that uh, this is really personal for you because this was yeah. your and cousin. And so, so, yeah. And, and so I think that it's hard for people to care about it, about something like this in such a deeply personal way because it, it doesn't affect them personally. It's just like they can be removed from it. So um, those are, I mean, I don't know, Harper, if you feel like there's any other like tenets of, of true crime that I'm missing out on. Uh, but those are, those are the things that typically stick out to me. No, I think you pretty much hit them all. And I think the one thing like that, especially in ours, there is a lot of victim blaming. Uh, if it's totally like a fort, like if it's totally no connection, you know, you're totally, you're just with the, you're talking about the keys in your hand, you know, and part of me really struggled with that, trying to figure out, you know, she is my cousin and you know, how much of her past do I put in there? Because I was worried what our audience is going to think. Obviously I know what she's been through, but you never know. And I came to the decision after talking to her mother and her, and they're like, you know, you have to be honest, you know? I think she sums it up beautifully in the film saying, you know, everybody has a past and things they're not proud of. 
but nobody deserves anything like that. And I think that's the underlying message of the whole film. Mm -hmm. And I really think her being able to one, just being there to be able to say that is very rare. Cause like we said, there's not a lot of people who either feel comfortable enough to speak out or who sadly survive crimes like this. Mm -hmm. So that really kind of drove us when we were making the film, you know, you have to touch on some of the parts that, you know, are hard, but also mm -hmm. at the same time realize just what amazing character she has to get through those 59 days she was held. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's another part of it too, is there's a lot of victim blaming within true crime. And, and that's, that's from the people who make it, make the docu documentary or the series. Um, but also from from the people who are involved in like the investigation uh, from all aspects, not even just like, you know, we can say the police or the, um, you know, the prosecutor or whoever, but like it's from everyone involved. And I think, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the struggle of going into your cousin's background uh, and, and just like the, like her life story. But I think with that, like, you know, I think about all the different serial killers who, who or, or, you know, people who, who abused sex workers, right? Like, I think that's a really, the population uh, has long been overlooked as far as, like, justice for them because, well, they're sex workers, so they, they are less than, which is, like, not true at all. And I think if we ever get to that point where, or when we do get to that point where we view people as just the sum of their mistakes, then we've lost that that human element and we've stopped viewing them as a person and we view them as a thing now, you know? And so I, I love that you were able to to like wrestle with that, but also leaned into that for, for this documentary. Had you always uh, wanted to be a filmmaker, Harper? I knew I always wanted to do something in like journalism at first. Mm -hmm. um, and I never really knew I wanted to do documentary until I got to college. And then it just made sense. I liked filmmaking. I went to school for film and I always wanted to do journalism. You know, I think why didn't documentary pop into my mind? Um, my dad and my mom kind of really inspired me. My dad, I say this in the film, he's a detective. And then my mom was a criminal prosecutor. So really their backgrounds are what got me interested in investigation and that's the lens the story is told through. You know, I go back to when I was 13, I remember hearing that my cousin was missing, but I'd never understood what happened because when you're so young, your parents aren't telling you all the graphic details of like one of the worst torture cases in Indiana's history. Yeah. And it was really their storytelling about their work and their jobs that made me want to pursue this. And I had a really, really supportive family um, in Indiana, which Joel's on my mother's side and they all told me, they all knew I was in film school making documentaries because I'd been a producer. They all told me, you know, Joel's never told her side of the story. You should ask her about it. And, you know, I was 20 at the time and I never directed anything. I'd only produced. And I it just started with a simple conversation. And, you know, she said, there's been networks and companies that have tried to screw me out of my own story. But since your family, you know, I'll let you do it. Hmm. And, you know, I hope I did her story justice. And I hope that she is like happy with the end product. But I think it really, it really opened my eyes and 
helped me reconnect with that side of my family. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, it's it's really funny and more less of a coincidence and more kind of um, an aspect of what both of you have hit on the the fact that true crime has you know become a genre unto itself and kind of as you led with Harper like more or less exploited victims um to to a very strong degree almost to the point where it's beca- almost become or it has become pro- problematic um which makes it even more surprising that when i was watching the new season of black mirror um the episode lock henry came up and um ended up being about like this very thing like a, of course a fictional story that episode but ends up being this kind of indictment of of Netflix and of and of Hulu specifically um being really spreading these um spreading these documentaries that are like um victimizing the or or um or exploiting the victims so i think it's i think it's really great that and and especially you know you you are a couple years younger than us um someone who was aware of that dynamic and and really trying to do this in a go about this project in a sensitive way that's really really cool thank you yeah i don't have a question in there it's more of a comment (laughs) yeah i think having parents who have worked you know criminal prosecutor detective i took it very very seriously because at the end of the day yes it's my family but also i mean we didn't there are things we couldn't even put in the documentary it was just so horrendous i mean yeah i I made this from 20 to 22 and it's like how i approached it is i got as many resources as possible i went to a uh it's called safe on main in lebanon ohio where i live it's a um it's a abuse center that teaches people how to respectfully help and mentor people who've been either domestically abused sexually abused and I actually made my crew go through a training with them, everyone who was going to be there for Joel's interview, hmm. just because one, I know it's a student film. I'm young. Something could happen. I want to be as prepared as possible. And also, too, a lot of these students, I don't think they really realized until they got there how serious some of the crimes were. And I didn't want mm-hmm. them to be like, for their own mental health sake, like be taken back since we were downstairs, you know, filming all the evidence, seeing everything that happened to her. And it was, you know, I took a took a couple weeks off after. I didn't even realize, really, because you see the stuff on the news. But then when you're talking to the main people and the main detective, you finally realize, like, oh, you know, I can see why they couldn't put a lot of this on the news and why it's, you know, some things are sealed record. And yeah. I think it was just really important for us to protect not just Joel's mental health, but also, like, the mental health of my crew as well. Yep. What um you you may have mentioned this. Did your dad work on the case? No, he did not. So this is my extended family on my mom's side. Basically my mom's whole family lives in uh, Southwestern Indiana and we live about four hours away, but we would go there all the time, visit Christmases, holidays. I'd, I'd known Joel for a couple years and really just, we've always had a very great tie because my mom grew up there. So it was just also a wonderful experience because I got to kind of reconnect with that whole side of the family because I had been at college for three years and not really seen anybody. Um, And then COVID happened and 
it really was truly, truly, despite such a horrific story, just a wonderful overall film and family experience. That's great. That's awesome. What, Olivia, you what was question? it like? Yeah, I do. Um, so you mentioned, you know, the mental health and like having a crew go through all that training and stuff, which as a therapist, I think is, as a person, I think is great, but especially as a therapist, because I, I think like, and, and this is, this is why I, I've had to really step away from watching true crime docs as much as I, I used to and like listening to podcasts over it because it, it does take a toll on you to hear those horrendous things. And like, I mean, as a therapist, I hear all kinds of stuff all the time, but I'm just like, and I need to watch something very stupid and lighthearted. I can't, I can't do any, anything super heavy, but for you, like, I'm curious, like you, you mentioned having to take two weeks off. What was that like for you to, to sit with, you know, one of your relatives and hear, hear her share her stories, her story and, and her experience uh, and knowing like these things actually happened to her. And this is not just some person removed from me. This is, this is someone close. Yeah. I definitely think it took a toll on me. I think, I mean, I think I definitely matured in that time. <laughs> and mm-hmm. from the time I started at 20 to just finishing at 22, I think, at the same time, it was almost like a coming of age story for myself because I'm revisiting this thing at 13. You know, I only heard bits and pieces. And it, it was almost like the end of like my childhood in a way, because I was going, I was finishing college, I was doing this story. And yes, there are so many horrific, awful things. But the one thing that I think about is, you know, Joelle lived and went through these things. And she is the most optimistic person I've ever met in my life you know, never met a stranger, still just such a sweet, sweet person. And in my mind, you know, I just always was thinking if she can go kind of what she, what, if she can go through what she went through and come out at the end, you know, now nine years later and have this outlook on life, you know, I should try to embody that as much as possible. And I think something I also figured out in this story that was really a driver for me was these communities of these places that are like flyover states that, you know, filmmakers, you know, big filmmakers are, oh, how could you ever live there? Like, why would you ever want to live in a small city? You know, I've been told that like many, many times. There's so much sense of community. And I learned that although this is such a horrific thing, there are so many good people out there. I mean, the people who just truly cared about her, the one detective, the main detective, uh, Tony Mayhew, he didn't take a day off, barely slept, really, really cared about her. There were searches and people, they didn't even know how she was connected to from like when she was in school. And like, it just made me realize that, yes, there are these awful, awful things in the world, but there's just so much more good, especially in this small, tight knit community. It's really, it's really cool. And and I love that you you connected it um, to, or you kind of saw the connection between the story that you've been kind of um, researching and covering the last two years, and then really flyover states and how there's this disparity between like, there's really like the East Coast and the West Coast. And then 
anything in between um in america is like thumb and louise or like days of heaven sort of you know barrenness um and there's very little sense of stories like what jeff nichols covers and or talks about in um his his movies like mud were like this, this is Arkansas and there's, there's no sidewalks, but there are good people. And there's the same sort of um, community. Uh, so I, I really like that, that you had that takeaway, um, especially in like a era where um, flyover states often have the most interesting stories to tell um, in an increasingly political and like, um, like just extreme sort of political environment. There's like what, like who cares who you vote for whenever your cousin goes missing, like, like, or who the detective or who the detective votes for It's like, is he going to take care of her? Is he going to like take nights off? There's like this sense of um, that sort of stuff does matter. Um, But it's also I just I kind of sense that in my family as well and the in my community here in Little Rock like I have I have friends on like just all over the spectrum and there's um but but we're when there are crises like we had a tornado come through here in April and destroyed like hundreds of homes like hundreds of people are like it's it's just like this huge thing and everybody's come together um and helped each other out so really like that you made that that uh connection and like taking that away because i don't think that i don't think that the south and flyover states get as much credit as they should in representation in, in films and documentaries or like maybe some some more so in documentaries but yeah no i agree 100 percent um yeah i really think that it's such a disservice to not tell these stories because there are i mean just knowing how my parents and what they do, I could make like 15 more true crime documentaries. Oh, I bet. Yeah. The people who would appreciate like to have their story told. And I think there's so much talent in these Midwest and flyover and in the South. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times the talent, you know, gets overlooked. And I think that's just a disservice to everybody. And I think it's honestly like, I'm, I mean, I, I'm moving to LA, so I understand, you know, LA, New York, Atlanta being the hubs. But I think we really, if we want the best stories and the best storytelling and the best creative minds, we need to stop looking in all these major cities and we need to start looking to, you know, the Little Rocks, the Lebanons, the Mount Vernons, mm-hmm. because there's amazing filmmakers that, you know, maybe just don't have the resources to get to those cities. And I think we need to do a better job in the industry of trying to find those people because they're there and they're really trying to get out there and you never know. They might go on to make something that ends up being Academy award qualifying. You know, I think of, um, uh, what's her name? Elaine McMillan, McMillan, uh, Elaine McMillan, McMillan Sheldon, who did, um, King Cole recently. Yeah, And yeah, yeah. she was at the same festival that I was at two weeks ago. I mean, I think she's someone who is really representing, you know, the state of West Virginia and their stories that have been overlooked for so long. And I think she's just doing a great job of kind of leading that independent documentary front for those voices. And we need more people like her. 
So I'm excited. I think it's changing though. I do with how Zoom's Zoom is changing. And I think mm-hmm. people are now willing to work besides the major three cities. And I think that's a good thing. So I think we're going in the right direction. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Oklahoma City has gotten really popular. That's where I live is Oklahoma City. And and I mean, we're having, we used to have this convention center that's right across the street from where the Thunder currently play. But that convention center has been completely transformed into a sound stage. So that like, like for that reason, because it, it's becoming more and more popular to like film movies and in Oklahoma, which is really cool. I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon was filmed here. And so that's really cool that that's, that's happening. I mean, we had Martin Scorsese of all directors come here, which never in a million years would I have thought that. So I do agree with you. I think it's changing and I, I hope it continues to change because I do think that there are some great stories to be told from from flyover country. And it's it's just I think more people need to hear these stories. Harper, have you taken any time to enjoy either some films or um some TV series recently that have anything inspired you this year? Uh, I would say this year has been like, I've been the worst just because I've been working too, um, sure. industry. So anything I do watch is because of work. So I'm like working eight hours a day doing stuff for television production. And then I get off and I'm like, I just want to go outside. <laughs> like, yep. yeah. 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 But I've been, I mean, I saw Barbie, um, which totally yes. different vibe, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say but we that's, love it last thing i saw in theaters and then i i've really not been good about what i've been watching outside of work i started um how to catch a smuggler um on nat geo okay also true crime but i think once the summer's over and things wind down uh i'll get a little bit more back into film i'm also like moving right now so it's very crazy I i also just honestly once I finish, we finished editing at the very end of May, started film submissions in June, July. And I honestly took a break from film and TV outside of my job because after doing, I mean, we edited the film for a year um, since we shot the footage and we went back, we shot recreations, we did all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. I was just completely like exhausted oh yeah i mean like it's a grueling process and so i was curious just coming out of that if there was any like you know specific thing that was uh really really inspiring you or kind of keeping you going but barbie for all of us i think that was the last thing i saw in theaters as well so yeah i'd say i will say i've gone to a couple festivals this year and i think so you have barbie and then you have festival films which are so different and that's i think i enjoy that a lot like i was at the flyover film festival with the louisville film society like two weeks ago awesome and i saw louder than you think which was at south by southwest oh i've Um, heard of that yeah it it was my favorite thing i saw it was really really good and it it made me i think i'm gonna take some things from that and how they used puppets i never even thought about puppets in documentary (laughs) um yeah yeah, okay. okay cool I That's highly, awesome. highly recommend if you have not seen it. I don't know if it's out on anything yet, though. Okay. Well, we'll keep an, we'll keep an eye out for it. Um, Harvard, thanks so much for reaching out and um, 
we hope to stay in touch with you. Um, can you say the the name of your your documentary? Kind of when it may go go public. Um, obviously, it may not be for a couple months, um, but you know, it's always good to get the word out. So, what's the name, and when's it going to be available? Yeah, my documentary is missing in the Midwest, and right now we're in festivals, but it'll likely be available via uh, online viewing in about a year from now. Awesome. Cool. Well, how about in a year, we'll kind of bookmark um, our calendar and uh, we'd love to have you back on and maybe um, cover cover a flyover movie that, that really speaks to your heart. Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you guys so much again. Uh, really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.